welcome to week 12, part one of the Punt Return podcast. I'm your host, Josh Ryan, as always, joined by my co-host, Nick Splitter. Nick, how you doing, boat? Good, mate. Good. So, yeah, early this week. Yeah, early part one because we're splitting the uh, the pot into two two parts this week because uh, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, so it will preview the first three Thanksgiving games uh, on Friday here and then we'll be back on Friday night. To We might quickly recap those games potentially and then uh, give you the rest of our picks and plays and thoughts on um, all the rest of the action. But uh, we'll, we'll talk, you know, talking points in a minute. But firstly, it's Thanksgiving, mate. So what are we thankful for? What are you thankful for? Oh, tough. It's a very tough question. This uh, this 2020 year, there's been a lot to not be thankful for. But I'm going to start with the 2017 Super Bowl Eagles. Without that incredible season, this year will just be completely unbearable as an Eagles fan because this has been a disaster. But other than that, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a gift to all NFL fans. doesn't matter, I think, how you feel about that conference or division rivals. I think you can't help but love Pat Mahomes. He's unstoppable. I mean, he goes into games believing he's going to win every game. He's going to score every drive. It's just he's incredible to watch. I know you want to talk about him as well, but yeah. I had to uh, I had to, I had to, to stick him in here because he's uh, he's one of the highlights of, of the NFL in totality, I think, for me. Just soaring and soaring and, you know, I think into under even money now for MVP as well. So, you know, if you if you got on him at a big price, you should be thankful for that as well. Yeah, I know there was there were some people that got on him at like six dollars, you know, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago. It's it's quite amazing that yeah. uh, he was able to kind of cruise for so long, um, and he wasn't playing badly by any means. He just wasn't playing the incredible MVP Pat Mahomes way that. that we kind of know and, and expect from him. Yep. He was still playing good football, I can't, and um, I can't, those odds was amazing. It is amazing, and I can't I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was like Pat Mahomes' worst five games of the season this year still put him as a top five quarterback <laughs> overall. If he just handpicked his five worst games this season, so like well, that's the thing. So I mean, like, yeah, like his worst is top ten at best in the NFL. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, at, well, top ten at worst. Sorry. That makes sense. Well, I mean, like, you, yeah. think about how he started the, the year. And, um, you know, he, he kind of allowed guys that, that started hot, you know, Russell Wilson was standalone MVP for the first month. Um, Josh Allen was up there playing some incredible football at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers playing some great great quarterback football. Um, and, and he kind of just let them do it and, and sat back. And in the last kind of fortnight or, or three weeks, he's kind of just roared back into – into the form that we know he can do. And, and I think he's still getting better too. That's the scary thing for the rest of the competition. Yep. Class personifies. And I did want to mention him. So I might, I might do that and then I'll double back around to, to my Thanksgiving thing. And I just, I just come back to, uh, to, and this is weird for a lot of people that know me, I'm not a huge sort of superhero movie guy, but I always come back to, to Thanos. And I think about Pat Mahomes and when he says, I am inevitable. And that's just Patrick Mahomes. Like he's just, there's nothing you can do. The only way you can really beat him is if you've got the ball in your hand as that clock hits zero and and you you can win. Like otherwise, if you give him any amount of time, it seems like he could just find a way to win. And I think he, this sounds ridiculous, but I think you could already make the argument that he's the goat. Like it's just because we've just never seen anything like it. And if you just compare absolute pinnacles of ability and play over a stretch. I mean, his pinnacle is already better than so many quarterbacks. I mean, his pinnacle is is, is phenomenal, and you know, yeah, it's it's funny. I've spent 
the last 10 years arguing with New England fans, Manning versus Brady, and I feel like you can just toss that whole thing out the window because Pat Mahomes in five years or 10 years is, is just going to absolutely smoke the field. Yeah, I mean, his skill level is, is kind of unseen at, at this level. Um, and you, we, we see college quarterbacks that, that smoke competition in college um, and then come in and, and just fail. Or not, not even fail, but kind of a, are never that good at, at the pro level. And Mahomes is better at the pro level than he was in college, and he wasn't at a, you know, at, at a big college in a, in a, you know, high level division. It was a high level conference, I should say. He was, you know, he was a very um, skillful quarterback on an offensive college team, and he's done exactly what he did there, if not better, at the pro level. It's kind of insane, really. Yeah, he's matured nicely, and you know, twenty twenty has been a bad year, but for Patrick Mahomes, it's been a good year. I feel like everyone is twenty four. He's twenty four, yeah. right? Man, we're just blessed to – good good Thanksgiving. Um, so my Thanksgiving, uh, what am I thankful for? Um, I think I'm thankful for Twitter today, actually, for rightly gaslighting and ratioing this fool um, whose handle is at Steve O'Rourke, and his, his uh, Twitter name is appropriately uh, labelled Shut Up Steve, and if only he did because he tweeted today that uh, after Peyton Manning got nominated uh, for the Hall of Fame where he'll be a first ballot straight in, congrats to Peyton, um, as expected. But he said Peyton Manning will not get into the Hall of uh, – sorry, Peyton Manning will get into the Hall of Fame, but he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. By my reckoning, you have to be indisputably the best player at your position for an extended period of time, and there's almost always someone better his entire career. I mean, that's got to be the worst <laughs> sports take of the year, possibly of my lifetime, because no other quarterback has won an MVP trophy more. No other quarterback has been an all-pro more. I mean, what? <laughs> I don't understand what more he needs to do to, to qualify that. And, and by that very nature of disputing, like, that would what you're trying to say is that if Randy Moss played at the same time as Jerry Rice, then Randy Moss isn't a Hall of Famer. Like I don't understand anything <laughs> a, that he's saying. It, it's a all. bizarre take. It's a bizarre take. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like saying that um, you know Magic Bird and uh, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird can't be in the Hall of Fame at the same like because they weren't MVPs. Yeah, you know? exactly. They were both MVPs in the same year. Like it's just yeah. oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So he he got ratioed to shit and ended up uh, uh, making his Twitter private and then deleting the tweet. And uh, <laughs> and then things got a little bit real, I think, and I, apparently he got like some really harsh things said about him, but I couldn't see the tweet. But I saw a few people replying to him saying, like, you know, people shouldn't say that. And I was like, oh, all right, people got a bit too personal. Like, I was just having a bit of fun with it. Like, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a f- fucking dumb take. But <laughs> anyway, um, but what I'm actually really thankful for is uh, the borders reopening. Today, mm. 2020, go up, go up to Queensland, come down to Vic, um, can have a beer with you, Nick, at some, at some point. Um, so, you know, things are starting to get better here in, all, in, the, in the land down under, which is, uh, which is good science. But, uh, but It's been uh, a really long time, hasn't it? Because you, you think about when we, when we started doing this podcast, you know, at the start of the year, um, or when we finished last season's podcast, um, and, you know, everything was around the, the bushfires and, you know, there was a lot that we couldn't do back then and um, and how yep. it's kind of transitioned into, into 2020. Um, it's kind of been a, a really rough year for a lot of people, but it's uh, yeah. hopefully starting yeah. to, to get some good news now. I graduated high school and finished my degree all in this <laughs> year. Yeah, so uh, it's been a long year. But uh, let's do it. Uh, week 12, uh, biggest takeaways. Let's get straight into it. 
for me, the biggest takeaway was Taysom Hill. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty impressive, you know, despite despite that uh, throw to Emmanuel Sanders that was about 15, 16 yards underthrown. Um, so despite that, which was probably the worst deep throw I've ever seen in my life, um, that wasn't tipped or slipped or Conor McGregor. Um, but, you know, I think for me, everyone's talking about Sean pa- uh, uh, Taysom Hill, about how good he was. But for me, I think the biggest takeaway is Sean Payton, just how good of a quarterback whisperer he is. And that term gets thrown around a lot. But I think, you know, outside of Andy Reid, there's maybe Bruce Arians, but Mm. I think Sean Payton is proving himself to be kind of a premier quarterback whisperer. He took a middling collegiate quarterback who had a career completion percentage below 60%. He kind of changed his entire body to become a blocker, a special teams, you know, jackknife, Swiss Army knife on offense, playing wide receiver, tight end, running back, whatever. Um, he took him, put him into a game plan, and actually beat an NFL team quite thoroughly. Um, like, you know, who else? How many other coaches could do that? Like, who who would have the confidence to try and do that? And then he kind of let us know about it as well. He kind of took the early <laughs> victory lap as well with the swagger, sort of, um, you know, retweeting Roddy White, who predicted that the Falcons would whip New Orleans if, if they dared Taysom Hill to try. So, he, look, he went 18 to 23, 233 yards, 51 rushing yards and two touchdowns. And, yeah, QB rating of over 100. So, it's like, it's pretty unbelievable what Sean Payton has done here. Yeah, it is. And it, it kind of brings up a couple of other questions that, that I had to mention a bit later on, but I might bring them up now. And, and the one for me is, why did New Orleans recruit James Winston as a backup, if not to play him in these situations? And what does it mean for the rest of his career and his future if they're not playing him now? Because I think we all kind of assumed that they were going to, you know, let James learn for another year, maybe two under under Drew Brees, and, and potentially take over that starting spot next season or the season after uh, with this O-line, with with the defence to, to carry him a bit more and not have to rely on his, his arm and his, his quarterback play. But... What does this mean for Jameis Winston now? Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I read some stuff that maybe um, Sean Payton's doing this for cap reasons to try and trade Sean, uh, to try to trade Taysom Hill potentially in the offseason or or uh, show a little bit of Jameis. And, and, and I don't know, there's some cap reasons behind that. I, I don't buy too much into that. But at the same time, you know, I'm giving Sean Payton a heap of credit here. But at the same time, there's kind of little risk because if Taysom Hill did sort of falter and, and struggle, then mm. there's no qualms because that's kind of what everyone was expecting. So you don't really look foolish. You can only look like a genius or look, you know, like, oh, you know, they're worth a try and, and they just throw Jameis straight back out in there. So um, I still think there's a chance that we see Jameis Winston in a, in a week or two or even this week if things don't go to plan. It's a tougher mm. tougher defense here against Denver for, for Taysom Hill. So I'm not quite sure, but I just think Sean Payton deserves a ton of credit, probably more so than Taysom Hill. And credit to Taysom, that's an NFL start and an NFL win, and that's like that's damn impressive for any for anyone. Absolutely, and, and um, I, I know yeah. you love your your tinfoil hat, and, and my tinfoil hat last weekend was uh, once they announced that Taysom was going to start, that Sean Payton just having a go at all the uh, the fantasy players that were going to start Taysom Hill at, at tight end in fantasy and then start him for the first snap and then play Jameis the rest of the game and screw everyone, but uh, didn't do it. So yeah, that was a shame because yeah. I thought that would have been fun. But uh, yeah. 
unfortunately not. But I, that it also goes into into one of my kind of key takeaways. It wasn't my number one, but um, going back to Sean Payton, the gap between the good coaches and the bad coaches seems even more stark this season. And I wonder if that's to do with, you know, we've, we've spoken about it a few times, that preseason preparation time is that those good coaches knew what to prioritise. They knew exactly how to prepare their squads and their roster over that that really, um, you know, hectic period where we didn't know if we were going to have a season. We don't, didn't know if there were going to be hubs. Didn't know how players were going to cope with the demands of, of a COVID season, all that sort of stuff. But I wonder what it is this season that, that makes you, you mentioned three of them in Peyton and Arians and uh, Reed, uh, Andy Reed, um, Mike Tomlin as well. Um, you know, these guys have just got their, their teams humming. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm looking at the, you know, the top teams by DVOA. Uh, so you've got New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Kansas city, Indy, Seattle, the Rams and, the Ravens, the Packers, and Miami. There's your top 10. All of those coaches, very competent, all of them. Um, they, you know, some have their flaws, but, I mean, like it's it's pretty – there's a good wide range. You've got Brian Flores as a young coach, but he's, he's kind of made a leap as a coach. You know, you've got John Harbour, who's been in the league for a long time and is very well respected. I think in this year and what's the years thrown at us, having someone solid in place that knows mm. how to – as you said, prioritize the right things and get the get the the basics done, or get them out of the way so you can focus on the more important things. Um, I think that's just been a massive advantage. Whereas a few other teams, it's kind of yes, yeah, falling by the wayside. But at the same time, there's still some young, impressive coaches that have you know, like Matt. What Matt Rule has done. I know Carolina have lost like five straight now, and you know they're not doing too well. But you know, in the win loss record or anything, but what he's done given that they have a bunch of rookies, he's a new head coach, had all brand new coordinators for the way that they've been. I think he's done a good job. And, he, you know, if he didn't do a good job, then Carolina might be down there with your Jacksonvilles and, and your Jets. So, I mean, I think you're right. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it kind of compares with, with a bit of Brian Flores and kind of, you know, did his time in, in a system. Flores was there, to, you know, for the second half of last season and, and kind of proved himself in that environment. I think he did a really good job with what he had, um, you know, last season and and this off season period going coming into this season really kind of solidified that for him in in Miami. Um, and Matt Rule's doing the same thing in in Carolina. Yeah, and I think having good, competent coordinators is also is also very, very helpful. And we're seeing that in, in LA with Sean, with uh, McVeigh in their defensive coordinators doing a fantastic job this season in, in mixing things up and, and, yeah, and not and reinventing it, the wheel, but just just not being as stale and predictable as we've seen other coaches. But I want to transition. Even, in, yeah. Sorry, just before you go, no. go on with that, even you look at, at um, Frank Reich and, uh, and and Mike Rabel as well, just just keep grinding out wins. They're not, they're not always playing incredible football, but they... they they're winning. They're yep. winning when it counts. Yeah, and I wanted to transition from that into the Eagles, and I think I'm focusing on the quarterback, and I think you'll focus on the coach here. Um, is is it time for the Eagles to bench Carson Wentz? That's kind of my number two takeaway at the moment because he's got um, you know 14 touchdown passes in in 10 games. He leads the NFL in interceptions with 14, fumbles with 10, and he's in 40 sacks. I know that's not solely on a quarterback issue, but still 40 sacks is is crazy. But, you know, that's just an ugly in, indication of how badly he's played. And 
He also second last in the league in completion percentage, 27th out of all starting quarterbacks in QBR. And Mike Sil- Sileski on Twitter, I think he's an Eagles beat writer. You'd know more than me, mate. But uh, he said that Doug Peterson said during his post-game news conference that if he benches Carson Wentz, if he plays Jalen Hurts, it will, it will tell the Eagles that their season is over. So um, maybe he believes the offense would be worth worse with Hurts. Maybe he's wrong, but it's pretty stunning admission from from Peterson. But I just I think Carson Wentz just needs a break. I don't know if it's a benching permanently, but mm. something seems broken and his confidence is shot and I think maybe he just needs the rest of the season off. I don't know. Where do you sit on it? Yeah, look, I agree. I think if you bench Carson Wentz now, you are kind of giving up on the season and you know, I think a lot of fans would potentially... Is that a bad thing, though? Um like, I mean, what are you going to do? Go to the playoffs and get whipped? Like, I just yeah, you know. yeah. Look, I think it's it's one of those. It's it's a tough question and, and a tough decision to make. And and I look, I get what I get what people are saying, and I understand the narrative about Carson Wentz, but I disagree with it. I, I feel like, and this is my opinion only. And there's a lot of you know, I've had these arguments with with a lot of. Eagles fans, both here and, and in the States. And I just feel like this is squarely on Doug Peterson. I think our offensive play calling is is one-dimensional. It's predictable. And you, even taking away the fact that, you know, half of his offense has missed most of the season and, and missed a lot of last season as well, from the offensive line to the skill players, um, you know, he hasn't had the, the cattle on the park. But even taking that away, those guys that have been out there um, ha, have been – doing a job, but I feel like ever since Frank Reich left for, for Indy, our offense has been shitty. It's been completely dysfunctional. Um, I'd much rather move on Doug as, as a head coach or, or at least bring in another offensive coordinator. Um, we had Mike Grove last season who didn't really do much in that role because Doug was still calling the plays, but at least he kind of, he gave them, he gave them more structure throughout the week before game day, and I think he had his own playbook. I'd much rather have another offensive coordinator running the playbook on offense um, than blaming Carson 100% for, for this because I I really feel like the franchise did him wrong and and maybe his confidence has been dented. Maybe coming back from all those injuries, you know, he, he missed pretty much two full seasons, uh, missed the Super Bowl run that, that he really deserved to be a part of, um, and then to come back and, and have all the injuries, have all the issues that he had last year, lead the team to a, to a playoff appearance. It was really, I mean, that was an improbable run towards the end of last season um, to, to knock the Cowboys off top spot in the division and, and take that take that division title. Um, and then after all of that and, and kind of pushing through all of those things, for the franchise to go and, and cherry pick a quarterback in the second round of the draft was like a slap in the face. Um, and there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, with his injury history, then surely that's understandable to take a quarterback that early. But you've paid the guy, you've called him your franchise quarterback, treat him like it, build the team around him and don't, you know, there, there's things coming out today and over the last kind of 24 or 48 hours that um, on the board w- was a very different player and Howie Roseman just kind of overruled the the scouting department and the recruitment department and, and picked Jalen Hurts out of nowhere. Um, and, I, you know, if if Carson Wentz's confidence has, has been dented, then I, I think that the franchise needs to take a long, hard look at themselves and, and work out why. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just there's a lot of – it's very political with Philly at the moment with all that going on. Um, but There's a lot of politics know, yeah. in Pennsylvania, mate. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like yeah, Peterson hasn't been great this year, but neither's Wentz. I don't know. I feel like the more I look at it, the more I think Wentz has good seasons in aberration and he's had more bad seasons now than good. I, I don't know. I, I feel like if he plays like this next year, I think that's it. I think the jury's out. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, yeah, I just, I just don't know. But um, maybe Doug Peterson I think we need to see him with a, with a new coach. Yeah. Because the guy has talent, wow. like he's unmistakable talent, and he can it play the quarterback crazy. position. We've we've seen it, and we've seen yeah. it. It's we've, hard getting rid of a quarterback, a Super Bowl winning coach. I know it might have been more Frank Wright than Doug Peterson, it is. but still, it's but maybe Frank Wright needs to write the book, not uh, Doug Peterson. <laughs> well, I would love to have. I mean, yeah, I would love yeah. to have Frank Wright back. Yeah, I'll leave well, it you there. Can't, Enough you can't franchise bashing. You can't have him. Um, speaking <laughs> speaking of the Colts, uh, Julian Blackman, um, I think he's he's got to state his case here for for D-Roy, for for not not Dane the Roy, Dane. but uh, defensive rookie of the year. Um, standing up, Julian Blackman, uh, unbelievable against Green Bay. He had five solo tackles, one tackle for loss, forced fumble, and overtime that won the game for the Colts. And I mean, if he played for a bigger market team, I think he's probably the clubhouse leader. The, the blokes literally finished multiple games for the Colts now. Um, you know, he's not been the sole reason for it, but he's just made that crucial, you know, play late in games to just properly seal the deal for us. And it's made a crucial tackle. He's, you know, had a takeaway and a force fumble, a couple of picks. It's He's so good that when, when they mentioned Malik Hooker in the broadcast the other day, I totally forgot that he even was a Colt. And he's injured. That's how good Julian Blackman is, and uh, I think he's. I think he should be the clubhouse leader for defensive rookie of the year. I don't know if you agree, but um, you know it's tough when Chase Young's doing his thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, Blackman. Yeah. I feel like being a, in a being a safety as a rookie in twenty twenty in the NFL, the way it's officiated, I think it's pretty crazy to have this type of impact. Yeah, well, I think. I mean, let's be honest. If if the Colts win the division off the back of their defence, and he's a big part of that, and, and that continues over the next, you know, four or five weeks. Uh, then, and, and let's say he doesn't win it because he, he's an outsider, let's be honest, he's an outsider. Um, but maybe we can maybe we can hand him the uh, punt return Dane Roy award. Okay, that's fine. I mean, he'll take solace in it. Um, <laughs> but I would be pretty cool to have uh, another defensive rookie of the year um, under, uh, you know, under the belt after Darius Leonard. It's... Uh, not a bad, uh, not a bad run of uh, picks for for the Colts in terms it's of the a draft. Good, done a great job. Chris Ballard's done an amazing job. It is, it is a really amazing job that uh, that they've done in, in Indianapolis. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, I'm I'm ready for the hype train for Julian Blackman. Plus, the dude can sing. I don't know if anyone's seen that video, <laughs> but uh, he sung at the the first rookie when they do the hazing thing. They make him sing, and uh, was, well, not hazing, but orientation, I guess. Probably shouldn't call it hazing, um, but yeah. Um, I remember seeing Aaron Aaron Sipos, the uh, the Detroit punter, singing "Land Down Under" on his uh, on the Detroit Lions rookie, you know, intro Zoom session earlier this year. It was uh, yeah, it's not good. You got destroyed. Okay, <laughs> not good, not good at all. Makes sense. <laughs> um, we're, we've already touched on on one of yours or, or two of yours, I think, uh, from memory. So, what else have you got for us for, for week twelve? Yeah, Joe Burrow. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it a lot more over yeah. the, the course of this season. But this injury is devastating. I think for for the NFL. I think for a lot of people, and, and you know, I speak for myself when I say this injury takes a lot of the fun out of the season 
now. I mean, follow a team like the, the Philadelphia Eagles. There's, there's not much to, to look forward to there. But, um, yeah, you know, I love watching Cincy. I love watching Joe play and, and kind of bring his swagger and his brand into the NFL after watching him in, in college. Um, so it's, it's it's shattering for for kind of neutral fans to to kind of watch Cincy on this on this journey and to watch him on this journey and for him to, to not play the rest of this season and potentially miss a lot of next season as well is uh, is a real shame. It's terrible, man. It's it's unbelievable. I miss watching Joey cover. I mean, he was going to cover the spread for us there. Um, Washington were – I had him on the back foot. Cincy should have been up by a lot more in that game too, and that's what's frustrating as well. Um, but he was playing so well. He's starting to see things and starting to get going. And, um, you know, it's just – just crazy but this injury was kind of just a bit unlucky but I mean mm. coming into Sunday he'd been sacked 32 times third most in the NFL he'd taken 72 hits in the team's first nine games which is tied for the most by rookie in their first nine games since since 2000 and uh, PFF has the Bengals 26 in the league in pass blocking so if 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 since he don't draft offensive line early and often in the 2021 draft then we write because you need to protect Joey Exotic at all costs. You have to, and I think we, you know, we've kind of touched on it a few times over the course of this season already. But I, even last week, you know, kind of mentioned that if, if since you were going to win this, that um, you know they needed to protect Joey Burrow better because that mm. Washington defensive line is nasty. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's it's a shame. It's you look at a number of quarterbacks. You know, we've spoken about Deshaun Watson over the last couple of years, and obviously Andrew Luck in in Indy, yeah. your your boy um, that had had yep. years of of just being torched. Um, yeah. And you know, franchises that invest in a in a franchise quarterback need to invest in protection for them. It's just crazy that this doesn't it's, happen. It's it's hard though because a lot of the teams that are picking early in drafts don't have good offensive lines because if they had good offensive lines, then they're probably mediocre to below average quarterback would Absolutely. probably be able, to win, be able to win a few games. So it's, it's really hard to, to do. And, and, and that's why you see a lot of these young, good quarterbacks just get absolutely hit and demolished. Sure. But it's I like, mean, you look at, yeah, look at guys like Andrew Luck, he had a decade of, of being poleaxed week after yeah. week. And, yeah. um, you know, Cincinnati still had some good picks in the second, third and fourth rounds that they could have quite easily picked up some high end talent in that, in that range. Yeah, and, that's it. You need uh, to double down on it. I mean, just that's it. just go QB and left tackle, just, you know, or QB, oh, oh guard, or, or whatever you want to do there. Just double down on I mean, T. Higgins is working out to be a nice pick, but, yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah, it's really, really tough. And since he's going to be a tough burn to watch, I think they dropped all the way down to second last in my uh, ratings off the back of Burrow, which tells you all you need mm. to know about them, really. So, brutal, brutal, brutal. Uh, watch... Oh, speaking of brutal, I think your last takeaway is, sounds pretty brutal. Yeah. Brutal to me if you want to get your foil hat out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about tinfoil hat. But did the Chargers puncture Tyrod Taylor's lung on purpose? You know, I said in in week three after he got injured, pending injury to uh, to Justin Herbert, that I don't think Tyrod Taylor starts again for the Chargers, and and I think that was possibly a big call at the time. I'm not sure you agree with yeah. me at the time, but um, there, I mean, th- there's no way that someone else is starting for the, the Los Angeles Chargers anytime soon. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think I didn't, I, I didn't disagree. It wasn't, it wasn't it was that a, you disagreed. You I, just said, said it was, I think it was I said it was a big call, but yeah. just knowing the Chargers, because I thought the Chargers would, would charger it up. And, and that's probably why I'd say probably not because 
trying to puncture someone's lung on purpose requires uh, an ability of, of good execution, and that's something the Chargers can't do. Um, Anthony Lynn certainly can't do um, that. You know, I mean, the first 75% of puncturing someone's lung, they might do a good job, but the last 25% it might deviate, and, and they may have they could have killed him if they wanted to do that. The so, special teams, the um, Chargers special teams just fail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just don't see it, but, yeah, it's – I mean, that injury to Burrow and then the way that Justin Herbert played, I mean, that touchdown pass where he's running the ball and he just throws, that is just like football porn really because mm. that, it just flies out of his hand. It's so smooth. Yeah, so he's offensive rookie of the year. Unbackable. Up. It, it's, it's, unbackable. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's slightly better than bank interest, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the only really. thing that stops anyone else winning is, is an injury. Obviously, if Herbert gets injured and then, I don't know, um, the Fresh Prince of Hell Air maybe has a, has a couple of yeah. big weeks and maybe... But... I honestly think if Justin Herbert gets injured, it doesn't matter because I, I think yeah, he's got I it think locked right. up. I think, it's, I think it's locked up. But, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable that we're going to have the MVP from and, and the Offensive Rookie of the Year in the same division. So that's going to be a fun battle for the next decade, uh, you know, if not more. So it's pretty pretty phenomenal. Um, a couple more things before we get into the Thanksgiving games. Devontae Adams tweeted uh, on uh, during Monday Night Football that uh, – oh, Tuesday night – yeah, Monday Night Football, Tuesday here – that uh, Cooper Cump is the most underrated receiver in the league. Uh, do you agree? And if not, who, who have you got? It's it's hard to disagree. Um, yeah. Because his, his ability, he shows it time and time again. And I think he just – I think he gets discounted because of the, the depth – in receivers and tight ends and, and the, the target share that they have going on at the Rams. When you look at the other receivers and, and the tight ends that have ability and, and often take up, you know, 15, 20% of the target share, um, it is hard to disagree. But there are some others that I think are perennially underrated. And I've got Stefan Diggs, who so far this season is 960 yards, four touchdowns. This is almost exactly the season um, that DeAndre Hopkins is having. I think DeAndre Hopkins has 912 yards and four touchdowns, um, and no one talks about Stefan Diggs as in a, a you know top five, top ten receiver. Um, Keenan Allen, I think, is perennially underrated. I know he rates himself very highly. He always always likes to, to get himself mentioned in those top five or, or top ten lists when he's not. But eight hundred thirty five yards, six touchdowns, and Adam Thielen, who's when you think about you know your number one wide receiver, you don't often think about the stocky white guy in Minnesota, but. Um, <laughs> You know, 646 yards and 11 touchdowns on the season. He's having a phenomenal season, and, and he's done it for the last five years. You know, he's had three, three 1,200-plus um, yard years in, in the last five um, and, you know, scores. He's catching everything as well this week. Uh, yeah, that's touch, right. Touchdown passes, uh, you know, pandemics, viruses, whatever, you name it. Um, <laughs> uh, I like the last two you mentioned. Um, if you've been following the show uh, the last couple of seasons with, with what the punt return or whatever it was in the previous editions, you know that I'm a big Keenan Allen and a big Adam Thielen guy. I've, I've drafted them in dynasty leagues and all sorts. I've been, I've been on that bandwagon for a while. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's also been a, a perennially underrated wide receiver for me, but uh, not at the moment. Unfortunately, he's in the latter end, but I always thought that you know, in his heyday with Andrew Luck, was always kind of overlooked because he just wasn't a big, big guy. Um, mm. a big, it was always kind of an inch or two too small. A couple of names for me that come to mind are Tyler Boyd. Um, I think yep. he's he's really come along quite well. But, yeah, I think Keenan Allen for me is, is definitely up there. But um, it's hard to go past sort of Cooper Cup. But even his teammate Robert Woods goes 
kind of underappreciated and overlooked mm. as well. I think uh, both do a, a pretty fascinating job there. And maybe a, another guy as well is DJ Moore in Carolina. Um, everyone's mm. sort of been talking about Henry, uh, Robbie Anderson, not Henry Anderson. Uh, Robbie Anderson this season, but I think DJ Moore is a, a really smooth, smooth uh, wide, wide receiver. So, I mean, we're just living in the golden age of wide receivers, really. So you could toss up, you know, ten to twelve names, really, and you you, you wouldn't really be wrong. So yeah, exactly. And you look at some of the tight ends that are playing now; they're basically receivers over over tight ends these days. Yep. Uh, all right. Last takeaway, I think, looking at our sheet of what we talked about um, before we get into some listener questions and takeaways. The Browns are seven and three, but I just I don't know. I still don't think Baker Mayfield's it. I just you spraying the ball all over the field once again. You overshot a wide open Austin Hooper in the end zone, which is as bad a miss as you'll see this season. I know the conditions have been a factor for a lot of their games this year, but I just I don't. He doesn't fill me with confidence that he can win a playoff game at, at the moment in the in the current state that he is. So. I just don't know where we feel the seven and three Browns. Who, by the way, if the Ravens lose on Thursday, that's a game and a half lead over the Ravens for the Browns. I agree one hundred percent. I've been saying all, all season that I still don't know if the if the Browns are any good. I think their their record is maybe slightly deceiving, but um, I certainly. But at the don't, same time, their schedule I, gets the schedule's quite easy as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I still, yeah. you know, like you said, I don't think it's because of Baker Mayfield. Um, yeah. you know, I think where the way that they've been performing is admirable in in some some facets of the game, but I don't think that quarterback play is is one of them. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, you know how they how they proceed over the next you know six to twelve months at, at that position. Mm. Yeah, it's annoying. I just I need to see them put away a good team. I just mm. until that until I see it, I just I just don't know. Um, we talked about Taysom Hill and. And the Saints and everything, but I just got to mention as well. Like also overlooked in that game, I know it's not a Sean Payton thing as well. Is their defense is absolutely roaring at the moment? They've been clicking since they just destroyed the Bucks a couple of weeks back. But I've never seen Matt Ryan look so sort of rattled in a while. Just just could not get it into any rhythm whatsoever at all. And after they took the lead late in the first half, the Saints held Atlanta offense to four punts, two interceptions, and zero points. I mean. The third in DVOA after the first sort of six weeks of the season, they were pretty deplorable. So they've just risen absolutely at the moment, and they're flying. And, and with the loss losses to the Bucks and Packs Packers, they're in, they're in the box seats for the NFC one seed. So Drew Brees might not need to hurry back. Really, they they might be able to rest him until the playoffs. I know they've got a game against the Chiefs in Week 15, but I mean, if you've got a game and a half lead on the rest of the NFC, then you may you may not need to. Horrible is a really good word for the Saints' defense in that first kind of month and a half. I think they were terrible, um, and they they really picked it up after kind of week seven, week eight, and since that that uh, Bucks game, they have been disgustingly good. Like they are shockingly good at the moment. I, I, the last few weeks, I keep expecting them to regress back to to closer to where they were in that first half of the season, but they just keep getting better and better. I actually played the Washington defense special teams unit in, in fantasy this week over the Saints, just based purely based on the opposition um, mm. and you know matchup based pick. But uh, I reckon based on on what we've seen the last kind of three to four weeks, that New Orleans are back to that set and forget defense special teams unit in, in fantasy that, that we've seen over the last. Yeah, close to a decade, really. Um, they're, they're back to set and forget until they give us a reason not to be. Yep, I, I agree. Um, so things are looking good for the Saints. They kind of do this a while. They they t- take the first half of the season to 
to warm up. And I think Bill Parcells always said the season doesn't start to Thanksgiving. So maybe maybe there's something to say about that and maybe the Saints are on that same sort of timeline. Um, all right, let's go listen to questions real quick. We'll, we'll address uh, at Halliday's DC when we talk about the Ravens-Steelers game. Uh, but Chapano, a uh, regular listener, uh, he's, he's saying the Ravens might be close to being done and Dallas suddenly look like value to win the NFC East, which quietly I tipped up the, the Giants at $13 and they're into like joint favoritism now. And I actually think looking at their schedule, I, I don't understand the market for this. Some places have uh, the Eagles still favorite. And I just don't mm. understand with their schedule the next month is just unbelievably tough. And yeah, I just, I just don't understand it. Like, the Giants may still be value at four dollars thirty. I mean, the four and a half point favorites against uh, Cincinnati. They also played Cleveland, who I give them a good chance to win, and Dallas, where I give them a good chance to win. They win two out of those three winnable games. They're probably in because the Eagles have got Seattle, Green Bay, Saints, Arizona, and then they're at Dallas and Washington. So, I mean, I think the Giants—they're the, they're the pick at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's such I mean, it's such a lottery in that division because I still don't I still have no faith in the Cowboys even after that win last week and we'll talk about that a bit later on. But um, you know, Cowboys have Washington, uh they're on the road at the Ravens, on the road at Cincinnati, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and then division matchup to end the, the season with the Giants. That could be it. That could be that the game. Could be it. that could be yeah, that could be it, it for the division. It could be. It could be the Eagles have Seattle this week, then they're on the road in Green Bay, they've got the Saints. Uh, travel to Arizona, Dallas and Washington, the Giants at Cincinnati, at Seattle, Arizona, Cleveland, at Baltimore, Dallas and Washington, at Pittsburgh, at San Fran, Seattle at home, Panthers and then away at Philly to, to end the regular season. I've got the Cowboys nominally, you know, right now going four and two. I've got the Eagles going two and four, the Giants one and five and Washington one and five to, to close out the season. Oh, On those numbers, the Cowboys win the division. There you go. That's simple. All right. So you got but the Cowboys. Not, I'm not confident. With the Giants. Not confident all right. at all. Well, Dallas at three dollars and five cents. If you just want to fade Philly, that might be the way. Just get on Betfair and and lay Philly. Well, I mean, that's that's... Shop around because you can get you can get between three and five dollars for for Dallas. Yeah, still. Any, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for any Dallas at three fifty and four dollars. I found earlier in the week. So. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Let's get into results real quick before we get into week twelve. Obviously, our lock of the week lost because Joe Burrow um, was torn away from our from our arms and, and mm. the NFL arms, and that's sad. So we're six four. Battering on so many levels. Uh, that was we. That was we were so we were flying on that one. I was so confident at halftime that we were just going to yeah. come out and and anyway. Uh, I went zero oh and three again. I mean, Taysom Hill not playing for the. <laughs> Uh, playing for the Saints instead of Jameis Winston really stuffed that uh, that bet for us on the pod when you film early in the week. Thankfully, mm. didn't play it until the, I, I waited till the next morning to to start to put the bet on, and then I heard whispers of, not whispers, but started to read on like Roto World and stuff that it's going to be Taysom Hill. So I backed the f away from that. Thankfully, um, sorry if anyone followed, but maybe fade me the next this week. You might go three zero. So I'm zero and nine over the last three weeks. Um, after I started 16, 7, and 1. So, uh, yeah, I actually did okay overall. It's just not my picks on the podcast. Jets, mm. Dallas, and Titans all, all covered, and uh, and Dallas won as well, which uh, which was uh, had a small little nibble on that as well. So it was actually ended up being an okay week, but for the stake of the podcast, shocking. Shocking, yeah. shocking. It, it's been like that all, all season, I found. I th- I've had I've had a really tough time picking you know the three best bets each week and and again I had I had an actual profitable week 
Uh, should have gone bigger on on Pittsburgh, but the the double digit line scared me off uh, because I've, I've been burnt a couple of times earlier mm. in the year. But yeah, another losing week on best bets. I went one and two. Um, I was big on the Saints, but yeah, the, the rest is it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. But it's twenty twenty in a nutshell, really. That's it. All right, let's get into week 12, and we're just sticking with the Thanksgiving games here. Uh, no teams have the bye this week. Full slate. A couple of teams have the bye next week. Surprisingly, week 13. But let's go week 12. First, first Thanksgiving game is Houston, minus 2.5 at Detroit. Total is 51. Um, my number's kind of like Detroit, plus 3 here, but that's given the full-strength offense in my rating, so... Um, I'm waiting on sort of Golladay or Swift, but it just doesn't seem like that they're going to play on a short week, just given their injuries and they didn't practice today. Um, so it kind of takes the lines out of the equation for me. Um, and look, Houston's offense has been pretty strong since they sacked Bill O'Brien. Uh, Deshaun Watson's been pretty stellar. I just want him to be freed from this shocking shackles of Jack Easterby and this Houston franchise. So hashtag free Deshaun. But um, the Texans are three and three since firing Bill O'Brien and um, they actually won against the Pats, surprisingly, without any of Bill O'Brien's off-season acquisitions. They're either injured or inactive in this game. Um, and look, they're 14th in weighted DVOA in offense at the moment over the last few weeks, and they're up against the, the 24th weighted DVOA Lions defense. And and I think the Texans should put up some points here. I'm not quite sure the Lions, though, can keep up with them if Stafford's thumb hampers him again last week, because it, it clear uh, this week, because it clearly it clearly did against Carolina, he just didn't look right at all, and it really affected them. Uh, and then they made some plays on defense, but I kind of lean over fifty one because if, if Stafford and and maybe one of these guys comes back, that's probably more the play. But um, I'm not jumping on the lines, but I'm not I'm not taking the Texans either. I'm not really comfortable at all with this game. Yeah, I was going to say thank God that this is the early game because I don't want to watch it, but. I mean, I'll probably get up and watch it anyway. Um, but it is, it's a really hard one to, to touch. I was really high on the on the Pats last week to, to outrun and outgun the Texans, which they didn't do. Um, the, the New England Patriots might be the only team in the NFL over the last year and a half to not take advantage of that Houston run defense. Um, and, and these two teams in general are just too inconsistent on both sides of the ball. And then you talk about the probability of those two guys not suiting up for Detroit. It, it's a solid pass for me. You look at some some props uh, which are not out yet at the, the time that we record this. But if DeAndre Swift misses, then you, you've got to look at Adrian Peterson to be the guy that they go to first for props and, and in fantasy, um, if you want to look at that. But I think keep an eye on the line if and when those guys are officially ruled out. If that if that line does come out further, then it might be worth a little play. But it's a bit of a gut check, really, at you know 4am on a Friday morning, Australian yeah. Eastern time, to uh, just see how you feel. But uh, it's a pass from me right now. Yep. Um, all right, let's go into the next game, which somehow is slightly better despite featuring two of the teams in the worst division in football. I just I find every game of this ugly but fascinating at the same time just because the division race is so close and so interesting. Um, so we've got Washington at Dallas, Dallas minus three. The total is 46. Um, yeah, I've got Washington plus three here, but I'm not overly confident about it. Basically have all of these teams rated within a point of each other. So basically any any dog getting three or more is going to be a play for me. Um, doesn't really matter which teams are what, but um, I was not at all impressed with the Redskins first half last week. And, and I feel like they should have been down by a lot more. And they kind of only kicked the Bengals to the curb once Burrow went down and it looked like it kind of flattened morale for the whole team. 
really it's it's hard to kind of get up when that happens to your, your leader and your, your your heart and soul of your, of your new franchise that, that guy gives you so much hope um but look the cowboys uh they showed some signs of life last week it was also a bit of bit misleading they got some fumble and penalty luck going their way vikings had two fumbles um uncharacteristic from from galvin was one of them and eight penalties for 80 yards as well so that kind of boosted the cowboys a little bit they face a better defense here with a much stronger d line to kind of test that problematic o-line that the vikings just have no pass rush after they've lost to neil hunter and traded yannick nagokwe away so like i think washington's defense can show up alex smith can do just enough to win this game they're the better ranked team in DVOA getting points. I'll take it. I also like the over 45 and a half because um, it's cashed in eight of their last 10 meetings between these two teams. And Dallas finally showed something last week with uh, with their offense. I just wasn't thoroughly impressed with their defense as, as much as I probably should have. Um, so, yeah, I like the over and, and I'll, I'll have a small play in Washington, probably the money line maybe as well. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of, of what you just said, except for the, the over. I'm actually on the under this week, but... Um... Yeah, like you said, I mean, despite their win last week, I'm I'm nowhere near ready to bet the Cowboys as a favourite, even at home, even against a fellow NFC cellar dweller. I just think the Washington defence and, and that defensive line that you mentioned, we spoke about it last week, um, is is really good and much better than than the Vikings were and are. They're ranked, I think it's only four or five spots higher on, on the Football Outsiders DVOA rankings, but it's a, a huge 10% better on that weighted DVOA defense and, and 10% on that list is a, a huge difference despite it only being four or five spots on the, on the ladder. Um, and I can just see that this, this Washington defense, keeping them in, keeping them close and, and in it till the end. So I, I also like the, the plus three on Washington, little play on the money line, but I, I think this is going to be a, a defensive division um, clash. Uh, I just don't see a lot of points. I know you, you mentioned that, Dallas offense, but I think they're coming up against a, a much better class in, in the Washington defense. I'm just not sure that there's a lot of points in this one. You know, I don't know how you can bet the under when you got C.D. Lamb making catches like that last week. I mean, the guy just it feels like he pressed pause and then readjusted himself and then hit play again. I don't understand how you can move your body that way. I struggle to get he, out of bed in the morning. <laughs> He's a freak. He's a freak. And, and a bit of a spoiler alert for anyone listening to the, the Dane Roy podcast, I, I Asked Dane point blank, and, and it will be on air towards the end of the, the season of, of that podcast, who the best player that he saw in college football was. And he, without a doubt, said CeeDee Lamb is the best player that he played against and, and the guy that he remembers seeing, you know, standing on the sidelines, that he remembers watching going, this guy is a freak and he's going to be one of the best players in the league in a couple of years. Wow. And he played alongside Ed Oliver too, who's yep. a freak. So yep. there you go. Yeah. Um, and Derek um, King and um, yep. yeah, quite a, quite a few good quality guys at uh, at UH in those those years. There you go. All right, so we've got a head to head on the total. Um, I'm going to wait till it dips under the 46. So uh, you watch it land on 46 now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh minus five. That's a very tentative line. It's not up at a lot of books, but some four and a halfs out there. Some fives out there. So five and a half at another book. It's kind of a little bit out there. I'm sure the limits are low at the moment just because of the COVID scare going on. A total is 44 and a half. Um, I don't know why this game's going ahead. I mean, you've got five players and five staff members all testing positive to COVID or being close contact with someone with COVID. So for me, it's 
I just don't understand similar vibes to the San Fran game. I just it's hard to put a lot of stock into this game because of COVID. This so affected it just not only the players missing, but it disrupts your disrupts your sort of training and your week, especially on a short week. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I really want to take the Steelers here. Um, I think you compare their form and the Ravens' form and everything that's that's going on off the field this week in, in Baltimore. Yeah, it's it's a good indicator of why this line is at five, but I really feel like it should be three or three and a half based on the way that these two teams match up, the way that they historically play out against each other. We we spoke about um, these two teams playing against each other over the last decade a couple of weeks ago when they, they lined up against each other the first time. Um, and I just feel like that despite everything happening in Baltimore, that they're going to throw everything. This is a grudge match for them. And that they're going to throw everything at, at Pittsburgh this week. And often these games end in you know, a, a last-minute winning drive or a goal-line stand, comes down to a, a last-minute field goal. I mean, so often these these games come down to, to three points or under. Um, I know Mark Ingram and, and J.K. Dobbins are out at running back, but Gus Edwards is a really solid backup for those guys, and, and they're going to lean on him really heavily, I think, this week. So look out for props and, and fantasy value. I've picked him up off the waiver wire in two leagues already um, and going to start him at uh, – Running back two this week, I think he's worth looking all formats of fantasy, whether it's season long or daily fantasy, wherever you play. Um, so while I still I still think the Steelers win, um, and I think that they end up still unbeaten after this week, I really feel like the five is is too much, and I'm leaning Baltimore at that line. If that line comes back to three and a half or three, then I might jump on on the Steelers and, and try and play a little middle um, with with those two bets. But I think that the five is is too too long for this one. What do you reckon? Mm. You mentioned fantasy. I'll tell you who I won't be starting in fantasy. Hollywood Brown. I mean, yeah. um, time to change that nickname. Maybe go Burbank <laughs> Brown or something like that because you ain't Hollywood the way you've been playing this season, mate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like Gus Edwards. Uh, Atlantic I'm, City I'm, Brown, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of what's – it's hard. What's wrong with the Ravens? Like, I, d- I don't really know if you can pinpoint, like, a singular thing. It just seems like a multi- multitude of tiny little issues – you know, the, t- the teams have figured out Lamar Jackson. You know, there's a little bit of sort of um, timing issues with the wide receivers, especially Hollywood Brown and, and even Mark Andrews. They look a little bit off the connection with each other. But I think one of those issues that you can't really fix, and I, I feel like a lot of the, issue, the tiny little creases, especially on offense, is is just fixing timing. And, and, and I think it can click for them. But one of those mm. issues that they can't change is probably the, the injury in the trenches and their O-line's just been decimated this season they're missing a lot of players and they've got a lot of moving pieces in there that kind of affects that continuity especially when you're a team that relies on sort of running the football and and certain blocking schemes I feel like that's impacted their O-line quite a bit and then on the D-line they're missing Brandon Williams, Penel McPhee on the COVID-19 list they're missing Kalei Campbell as well to injury that's three starters on their defensive line against a, a, a very strong Steelers front. And I think that's something you can't really – it's hard to factor into your numbers and your ratings. And mm-hmm. look, missing the running backs as well, it hurts them. I know Gus Edwards is good and he's going to be a great option for, for fantasy players this week because he's just going to get the stack of volume. But they were so crucial in their success against the Steelers last time they played. I know they lost, but when you look at the stats, that's a game they probably should have won. They had more mm-hmm. first downs, more yardage, more yards per play. Like everything points to a Ravens win, Ravens win when you look at the, the the box score and look at the numbers there. They just had some fumbles in the red zone and some drives that stalled. And so the plus five for the Ravens is is really tempting here. 
it's just super hard to weigh up this injury toll and the impact it's going to have on this team on a short week with all these COVID players, as I said. So I'm going to watch it carefully. If it gets to plus six, I don't know if it will. Um, but who knows? If it gets to plus six, I'll, I'll definitely be taking the Ravens. Um, and if it, I've got a minus four. So I need a little bit more on the Ravens side before I before I have any confidence in taking them. But historically, anything over plus three and a half in this rivalry, it's, it's hard to argue with. I feel like you're on the right side because it's just always a really slog fest, tight, close game. So um, it's probably a no play for me, but I'm just going to shop around on, on Friday morning and, and, as you said, maybe focus on some of the, the player stuff instead. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, a few of those, a few of those little tiny things that are that are fixable. You know, you, you get on the right track. You, you're all pulling in the same direction for these grudge games and these these rivalry games. And all it can take is is a couple of those plays going your way in, in a game like this to get your season back on track and get that understanding and, and some of that timing. And um, mm. you know, Lamar's been banged up. He hasn't been running the ball as much. Um, and I think we'll probably see that a little bit more this week with with their two starters out, even though, you know, like we've touched on with Gus Edwards, that he'll probably get a, a whole lot of carries that I think Lamar will probably start running the ball a bit more as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a really tough one. And I just, yeah, like you said, that line I think is is too much historically uh, to not take, to not have a little nibble at on the, the Baltimore side. Yeah, I mean, that, that we look at the Ravens so differently if they probably win that game like they should. You yeah. know, they're, they're probably 7-3, and three, Steelers are 9-1, and one, and suddenly, you know, this game is everything because if the Ravens win this and, and sweep the, the Steelers, then we've got a proper genuine division race on our hands and our power shifts kind of in the top tiers. But, I mean, if the Ravens get swept again here by the Steelers and this one's on the road, so it's going to be harder for them. You know, they, they fall to just one game above 500 and they're a team with the reigning MVP. So, I mean, it's just... It's really weird when you know, it comes down to wins and losses. The difference between finishing, you know, eleven and five and, and nine and seven is is, mm. is not too much. It's a couple of plays going your way in, in some key key games. So um, I still think the Ravens can be a good team and, and go on a run, but I just need to see a little bit more from them. And it's going to be tough on a short week against you know one of the top three teams in the NFL. Hundred percent. But. It's a good Thanksgiving game, and then that pretty much wraps up our show. I don't think we have any locks or best bets from these three games. There's, there's no real confidence on nah, any of these no, three no, plays, no. And, and maybe that's just because our confidence is shot after the last <laughs> couple of weeks. It's just been an absolute fucking strip out, um, and it's been like that for a lot of people. But, you know, still chasing some closing line value and, and making and sticking with our numbers, and eventually we'll get some positive regression back. But, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's reconvene in a couple of days and uh, – and talk the rest of week 12 and, and preview the rest. Have you got any final words before we wrap up? No, I think for anyone who's banking on that that lock, we probably lean slightly Washington at the, at the points, but that's about it. Um, I wouldn't be uh, yeah. wouldn't be banking on, on anything at the moment, especially yeah. from these three games. But, uh, yeah, enjoy it, and hopefully hopefully have a few dollars to play with the rest of the week come, uh, come Friday and Saturday. Yeah, definitely. And uh, hopefully we get some more uh, lines. There's still some uncertainty on a lot of games out there at the moment. So hopefully Friday afternoon we'll have a lot more than what we would normally have on a Thursday afternoon. So uh, that wraps up the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Punt Return Pod. You can follow me at JYNFL and you can follow Nick on Twitter as well at Nick Splitter. Give us a tweet, send us your thoughts and uh, you know, gamble responsibly. Enjoy Thanksgiving and we'll be back uh, Friday afternoon. 